enjoyed that number, say amen. amen. Wasn't that good? That was beautiful. You know, it said that when the children of Israel went to battle, they took the choir and they put them right in front. And someone said, why'd they do that? Someone else said, well, because if they got shot, no one would miss them. And I thought, no, no, no. They put them in front because they got courage to people. They did something to give courage. And choir, you did that to us tonight. Would you thank them again for their ministry to us? Wow. What a great day. What a great day at Bayshore. We have had just a great day together. And I've enjoyed this so much. You know, I think you guys believe what it says in Scripture. In Scripture it says, doesn't it, wherever two or three are gathered together, there will be food. And uh, ice cream last night, popcorn tonight. The sessions in the morning, Dr. Neff and I understood that it, it self-destructs at its time because you have to have your cookie. And uh, so we're, we're kind of learning the drill around here. But we're just having a great time being with you all. You guys are more fun than what I ever imagined. And it's just so good to be able to spend this time. And, and they tell me that before the camp is over, they're going to sing the Bayshore song again, right? We're going to sing that again. That is the best song. It's been going through my head all day. And I can't wait so I can kind of get my honorable member, membership here at Bayshore so I can sing it with you. It's kind of good to get a chance to meet each other and to know each other. Someone came to me today and they said, Dave, I didn't realize you're left-handed. And I am left-handed. It's, it's just the way it is. I don't know if you're aware that research has now been proven. This is amazing. Research has now been proven that everyone is born left-handed. Were you aware of that? Not sure where that came from. University of Michigan, or maybe it was that Nebraska thing. I don't know, but it is now proven that every born, everyone's born left-handed. And did you know this, Eileen? Did you know this? They, <laughs> Elaine, did you know this? Everyone is born left-handed, and they stay that way till they sin. Isn't that incredible? How many left-handers in the house? Whoa. And all the left-handers said, amen, amen, amen. Hey, I didn't know, just, just, just before we get going into some deep stuff, uh, it's interesting, does anybody have a birthday this week during camp? Just go like this so you don't get embarrassed. There's a birthday. There's a birthday. Any other camp birthdays that are here? Just go like this. There we go. Everyone's going right like that. I love it. There's some birthdays over there. That's great. Did you hear about the husband who forgot his wife's birthday? He totally forgot it. In fact, the husband was in deep trouble when he forgot his wife's birthday. His wife told him tomorrow there had better be something in the driveway for me that goes from zero to 200 in under 10 seconds. The next morning, the wife looked out and found a small package in the driveway. She opened it and found a brand new bathroom scale. <laughs> Funeral services for the husband have been set for Thursday. They have been set for Thursday. Ah, it's great. Isn't it great to be able to laugh together? and to just have good times together, and to do that. Now tonight, what I want to do is just, just deliver my heart to you. In fact, I want you to do something right now. 
might be a little strange. Some of you may resist a little bit and say, well, what's up with this deal? But I'm going to pray. And I want you right now just to take your hands and hold them open in front of you. Would you do that? Would you just consider holding your hands open like this? Because my best message can't bring down the power of God. My best message is just words off a guy that doesn't really know a whole lot. But if the Holy Spirit speaks to you, it'll happen. So with your hands open, let me pray. Jesus, would you do something tonight in this room? Would you rearrange priorities? Would you help us to understand what surrender is all about? Help us to die to self and be filled. And with our hands open, we pray a very simple prayer. Lord Jesus, speak to me. Would you just pray that out loud with me right now? Lord Jesus, speak to me. Pray it again, would you? Lord Jesus, speak to me. And like Samuel of old said, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth, and we will obey. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people together said, amen. Grab your Bibles, get them out, get them up in the air. Come on, lift them up. Hardest work some of you have done today right there, isn't it? Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, and I want you to go into Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. I now have pastored, I started when I was really young, so don't be worried. I now this year have pastored for 45 years. That's all I am as a pastor. Opportunities for other things have come my way, but I'm just a guy week in and week out that just wants to pastor. I love people. I told you last night, the same church for 38 years. When I married our son and daughter-in-law, before we're ready to walk out on stage, I said to my son at that time, I said, Scott, you were amazing. You have heard me preach, I calculated it, over 3,000 times. And he looked at me and said, no, I haven't, Dad. I've heard you preach those same 10 sermons 300 times. <laughs> but I'm a pastor. And I've noticed something as I pastor. And so tonight, would you let me as a pastor just share my deepest burden with you? Because I love you. And I want God's best for you. And here's what I've noticed. I've noticed that a lot of us as Christians may have been a Christian five years, 10 years, 40 years, 50 years, but we're still one year old. We've done the same year five times. We've done the same year 10 times. For some of us, we've done the same year 45 times. Something's not right. Something's not right. Now, the writer to the Hebrews has that theme in chapter 5, verse 11. Look at what he says. He says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. Wow, what a compliment. <laughs> he says, I want to talk to you, but you just don't get this. You're doing that same year over and over and over again. In fact, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. 
Now anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Here we go. Drum roll. Therefore. Therefore, chapter 6, verse 1. Say that word together out loud with me right now. Therefore, didn't hear you. Therefore, whenever you see a word therefore in Scripture, you're supposed to ask what it's there for. Therefore, let us what? Let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, teleos, completeness, not laying again the foundation of repentance from the acts that lead to death, and of faith in Christ, instruction in baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight what I want to do is I want to talk to you about moving up or going deeper. I want to talk to you about breaking the cycle of doing the same stinking year over and over and over again. And what would happen tonight? If you were to have a breakthrough and simply say, I'm tired of this thing, roller coaster Christianity. I was a kid who grew up at camp meetings, and I knew how the drill went. I got saved at every camp, every year. My Baptist brothers never figured that out, but it worked for me. I just got saved every year at camp. And then I'd go through the year and backslide and get lost and all messed up, come back to camp and kind of repent and do the thing all over again. And finally, I got to the place where I said, God, I want to go so deep. I want to have the whole thing. And I want to experience everything you have for me so I do not lay the elementary truths of God's word all over again. Maybe tonight is the night that the cycle gets broken. Maybe tonight is the night that you bust through a barrier. Maybe tonight is the night that you can experience what it is to have the fullness of God's Holy Spirit, to have him do a deep work in your heart and life. I am tired and done with doing the same year over and over and over again. There are better things ahead. And as he says in chapter 6, verse 3, and God permitting, we will do so. So here's the question tonight. How do I get there? How do I get there? How can I move in my spiritual life? Some of you tonight simply say, Dave, I am so tired of doing the same old, same old, same old, same old. I'm so tired of trying to have my devotions and they're lifeless. I'm so tired of trying to whip up an emotion. I'm so tired of going through the motions. I'm tired of having a form of godliness and denying the power thereof. I want to see the power of God work in an amazing an incredible race. So what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to give you three very simple pictures and I'm going to ask you three simple questions. That's all it is. It shouldn't take us long, but here we go. Number one, the first thing that Jesus talked about is, and I asked this in the form of a question, have I picked up my cross and have I died? Have I picked up my cross and have I died? Look over to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, just turn over there. Matthew chapter 10, have I picked up my cross and died? For me to break through, there's a picture of the cross. In chapter 10, verse 37, Jesus says these words. He said, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
And anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his, what's the word? Take his, say it together, take his cross. What does he do? Take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. For whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The first thing that we have to understand is that when Jesus Christ calls us, he doesn't call us to a cushion, he doesn't call us to a couch, he calls us to take up your cross and follow me. Now what does it mean to pick up the cross? A lot of people have a lot of ideas. Throughout all of scripture you will discover that the cross is the sign of death. It's the sign of death. When Jesus hung on the cross, he died for our sins. Romans teaches us in Romans chapter 6, we are crucified with Christ. I live, as Paul says in Galatians, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. He says, I want you to come and I want you to learn what it is to die. To die. To die to your agenda. Pick up your cross and do what? Follow Jesus. It's not pick up your cross and do your own thing. It's pick up your cross and say, God, whatever you have for me, I'm willing to die to my dreams, my goals, my plans, my old nature, my bent toward the dark side, and I want to follow you. Now, I know all of you have got your act together, but when I met Christ, I didn't have my act together. When I grew up as a boy, I had a terrible temper. A terrible temper. In fact, as a young man, I had a horrible temper problem. My brother used to come home from athletic events, and he would say to Dad, he'd say, Dad, what are we going to do with Dave? What are we going to do with Dave? He got kicked out of the game. He got a technical foul. What are we going to do? I began to discover that my temper was nothing more than my self-centeredness, that I wanted my way. I wanted to do my thing. And whenever anything blocked me from my way, I would have some type of an explosion, and it would happen. And my temper became a sign of my dark side. You see, the Bible tells us that every one of us was born into this world with a dark side. Now, you may theologically call that a ton of things. You can call that your carnal nature, the old man, the bent toward evil. But Scripture says every one of us came in, for those of you old-timers, like a pinball machine on tilt. It was just tilted over. And the Bible says we've all come in that way. But he said, I want you to go to the cross, and I want you to die. I'll never forget when I met my wife, Christy. We were freshmen in college. I was 145 pounds. Isn't that something? That was another lifetime ago. Now there's two of me. I had an expansion program, and I met her. She was way beyond me spiritually, and as we were dating, she looked at me one night and she asked me, have you ever experienced this deep work in your heart where you've died to self-centeredness? You've died to your need to be in charge. And I looked at her and I thought, I don't think you get it, lady. I'm my own man. I'll do my own thing. I've got my goals, my plans, my agenda. And for three months, for three months, I battled every single day on this thing of taking up the cross and dying and knowing what it was to say, God, here I am. The old Dave has to die. 
the old Dave of self-centeredness and temper tantrums, the old Dave of being full of himself can no longer accomplish what God wants to do in my life. And so I ask you this very simple question tonight. Have you picked up your cross and died? I didn't ask you if you're born again. If you're not born again, tonight's the night to meet him. Tonight's the night to repent of your sins. Tonight's the night to take off religion and have a personal relationship. But the question I ask you tonight is maybe the reason that the record is stuck, maybe the reason the same year is happening over and over and over again is you've never said, Lord, here I am. I want to die. Romans chapter 6 became my life chapter. Romans chapter 8 came alive as I began to understand this thing of knowing what it is to pick up your cross. The reason our churches are a mess today is everyone has their agenda. Everyone has their plan. And if we'd all get on our face and die and say, God, thy will be done on earth in this church as it is in heaven, God would pour out himself in an amazing way. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, I'd like to talk to you as big boys and girls, but I can't. For you are yet, it says in the King James, carnal. In the NIV, it says worldly. He says it's time for you to change. Now, these were people who were born again, but they weren't living, surrendered, fully surrendered to him. And so the first question I ask you tonight is very simple. In fact, I wish I could just walk down the aisles and down the pews and look at you and say, have you been to the cross? Have you picked up the cross? Have you died to that dark side? Have you experienced the deep work of the Spirit of God as you've done it? The second question that I would ask you is about a third, a second picture that he gives. And that is, he says, it's a picture of fire. It's a picture of fire. So I ask you this question. Have, have I experienced, have you experienced the baptism of fire? upon your life have you experienced this baptism of fire now go with me over real quickly to matthew matthew chapter 3 verse 11 matthew chapter 3 verse 11 just turn over there let me hear your pages just kind of wrestle there i want to hear them even if you're not turning fool the preacher tonight okay matthew chapter 3 and i want you to see this where jesus actually it's chapter 3 verse 11, where Jesus says, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who will baptize you with what? With the Holy Spirit and with fire. Wow. He said, he'll baptize you that way. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor from gathering wheat into his barn, burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So I want to ask you a question tonight. Have you ever experienced the fire baptism? Now you say, Dave, I don't think I quite understand this. You're going to see in the book of Acts different times where you're going to hear fire come up. On the day of Pentecost, there appeared to be cloven tongues of fire. There were these things that came that appeared to be fire. And God took the disciples in that moment of time and he said, for you to live for me, for you not to do the same year over and over and over again, you're going to need to be baptized with 
fire. Fire does two things primarily. The first thing a baptism with fire does, it purifies everything it touches. It's interesting, as I've traveled a fair amount of the world, clean water is absolutely essential. And I don't know how many times I've gone into a place and they get water out of the ground and they turn on the fire and they boil it, they get all the impurities out of it. They want to make sure that when you drink it, it is 100% pure. There is this association with fire and purity. Acts chapter 15, verse 9 says, when the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentile Pentecost, he said he purified our hearts by faith, and the fire came in a deep purifying work. Now, one of the great things of our heritage, and I have the same heritage you all have, the great thing of our heritage is heart purity, that the power of the cross of Jesus Christ can cleanse our heart, can change our heart, can take you and take all the dark and the evil and dirty stuff out of your heart, and he can give you a brand new pure heart. And it doesn't just look like that. He imparts to us his righteousness so we have this pure and clean heart. But in addition to that, fire does something else. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, you will be, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth. And the baptism with fire is not just about purity, it's about being baptized with power. And I want to ask you a question. Is there any power in your spiritual life? Is there anything inside of you that God has given you a spirit of boldness, a spirit of courage, being willing to go to the hard places and do the hard things and say the things that need to be said? He said, I want to baptize you with power. It's a lot of years ago, Christy and I were in Haiti. We were driving from, if you're acquainted with Haiti, we were driving from Port-au-Prince all the way up to Cape Haitian. We were going across country. We got out in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden in the middle of nowhere, our vehicle had a separation between the body and the chassis. Now this is unbelievable. I mean, it's like you're facing this way, but the body is facing this way. And, and it just, it separated, it totally came apart. And we just stopped out there in the middle of nowhere. There was one missionary and three of us non-missionaries. And, and we thought, well, what do we do? We can't go any further. The missionary said to me, he said, you know what, Dave, let's you and I take off on foot and we're going to walk a ways and see if we can get a mechanic. He knew I was very physically fit in your dreams. And so he said, let's just take off walking. We left the other three actually back at the vehicle. Come with me. We take off walking. As we're walking down through this little path, this little road, and I see the Haitians there in the villages. And as I'm walking along, I'm, I'm kind of overcome. It was my first time ever to be out of the country. And it's kind of overwhelming me. I'm seeing poverty. I'm seeing all kinds of things. I look up and I see this flag. And I see this flag, and I look at it, and I said to the missionary, hey, what's with the flag? He said, oh, that's where the witch doctor lives. I thought to myself, interesting, interesting. I said, tell me about the witch doctor. He said, well, the witch doctor, the witch doctor would do all kinds of things. There'll be curses, there'll be hexes. He'll come against this thing. And all of a sudden, something inside of me said, this is not a good moment. I don't like where I'm at. And this thought went through my head. 
I had just hadn't pastored very long. This thought went through my head. I left the conversation with the person who's beside me, and I went internal in my head, and I started to say to myself, what happens if it's the witch doctor and me, and we're going head to head? Well, I've had three years of Greek. I'll just whip out some Greek on him. I know the Greek New Testament really well, and I've had homiletics, and I've had hermeneutics, and, and, and I know Scripture real well. And there was this thing inside of me that said, buddy, in this moment, your Greek isn't going to bail you out. Your Hebrew isn't going to bail you out. Your homiletics, your hermeneutics isn't going to bail you out. Screaming loud to God isn't going to bail you out. You need to be baptized with the power of God to take on the force of hell. And I was a charade. I didn't have power. I could pray a fancy prayer, I could baptize, I could preach, I could do things, but I was powerless. God got a hold of me in that moment, and I became hungry to see a demonstration of the power of God in my life. When I came back home, that same spirit said on me, that said, God, I want to be baptized with a supernatural power, not so that I am exalted, so you were exalted. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and the power of darkness. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ in this day and age, we are not, it's not going to be enough to know your Greek. Learn your Greek. Learn your Hebrew. Learn your homiletics, your hermeneutics. Learn the Bible and memorize it. But what you need most of all is a baptism with fire to take on the hosts of hell with everything that comes against you. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so I made a commitment. I shared with the group this morning, I'm not naturally an early morning person. It does not come to me. I didn't realize till a while back there were two five o'clocks in a day. I didn't know that. I thought, that's really interesting. I made a commitment. Every Friday morning at five o'clock, when I'm in town, at six o'clock I should say, when I'm in town, I'm going to gather a group of men together. And we're just going to cry out to God to see him work. And I don't care if it's me and one other or 30 others or however many come. We need to see a demonstration of God's power in our midst. I said it to you last night. Little prayer, little power, much prayer, much power. And maybe what we need is a baptism of fire that comes upon us where we say, God, I'm tired of, of half-heartedness. I'm tired of low living. I'm tired of those things. I want to experience your power in my life. I'll tell you what, I preach three times every Sunday morning. We have five services, two video, three live. I tell people there's nothing worse than preaching a bad sermon except for me. I've got to hear the same powerless thing three times every Sunday, and it's painful. And I say, God, I don't want to go through this thing that way. Are you hungry for the power of God? Are you hungry to see lives changed? Are you hungry to be able to pray over the sick and watch God do a supernatural work? You know, God still heals. I don't know if you're aware that he didn't stop. He still can heal. God can still take broken marriages and put them back together again. God can still do unbelievable things. And he says, I'm just looking for people who are going to be sensitive, who know what it is to die on the cross. They've died and now know what it is to have the fire of God come upon them. Most of us go into a restaurant. And it comes time to pray before a meal. And we do the old headache prayer. We just kind of bow our head. We don't want anybody to see us pray. We just kind of hide it as best we can. 
Jesus said, if you'll acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny I know you before the Father in heaven. We don't need to be obnoxious. We don't need to be overbearing. We don't need to be rude. But what would happen if God were to do a work in my heart and your heart, and we draw a little circle and we step into it, and we say, God, I want to experience the fresh baptism of fire in my life, and I want it right now, and I will settle for nothing less than the power of God. We don't need more churches. We don't need more pastors. We don't need more programs. What we need more than anything is a demonstration where people can see this is God's power at work in our midst. Amen? Amen. Amen. So he says, are you tired of doing this same year over and over and over again? He says, time for you to move on. You got to go to the cross. And you've got to die. You got to say, God, I'm not content living this way. I want you to come. And I am hungry for a demonstration of your power on my life. Do that work. And I want to be fire baptized. Oh, God, do it. I'll tell you, I've seen people that are timid, bashful, and shy develop a backbone of courage. In this day and age, it's going to take a backbone of courage to take a stand. To be a Bible-believing Christian, you are now narrow, you are bigoted, you are somehow exclusive, you're considered hateful. I just saw the other day, taking some of the stands I, ta I, I now take are considered hate speech. I was just canceled on a radio station a while back. Because they said what I preached was hate speech. All I was preaching was exactly, if I read the scripture, it's that. And I don't want to be obnoxious. I don't want to be mean. But I want to be bold like Peter, James, and John. And Peter, who denied Christ, all of a sudden when the fire of God hit him, he took that guy that denied Jesus to a woman and had him stand up before the whole council and preach the truth. Have I experienced? Am I living in the baptism of fire? Or are we just going to do this same year over and over and over again? Not 30 years old in Christ. We're just one year doing that same one year 30 times. Third picture is an interesting picture. The third picture is a picture of an altar. Of an altar. It's really interesting the picture of an altar actually comes to us best from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And a lot of you know that by heart. I learned in the King James. I beseech you, brother, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Or the NIV says, your spiritual worship. And what it basically says is, I'm going to ask you to come, and I'm going to ask you to place not a lamb. I noticed tonight nobody brought any animals to place on the altar to sacrifice. He said, you know what I'm going to ask you to do? I'm going to ask you to just take yourself and just say, Lord, here I am. Submit your bodies as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship, your reasonable service. Now, you all know that the concept of the altar was magnified with Abraham and Isaac. Remember Abraham? Didn't have a kid for the longest time. And then God gives him Isaac. 
And then God says one day, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to, to sacrifice him to me the silliest, goofiest thing you've ever heard. Remember how Abraham took Isaac in absolute obedience and he takes Isaac and he places him upon the altar and he gets the knife ready. The fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb? Abraham says, God will provide. But he had to go through that thing of taking him, his son, the most valuable thing, and placing it upon the altar. And this is what we call total, absolute surrender. And we call this, have I placed myself, have I placed my all on the altar? Now let me tell you what I notice with most of us. Most of us place a lot of other people on the altar. But we're not willing to put the whole thing on the altar. When Jesus called you to follow him, he called you the whole thing, lock, stock, and barrel. He said, I don't want a part of you. I want all of you. I want every part of you. And this is what we call total, absolute surrender to him, where we say, God, here I am, and you can have me. Now, I want to confess to you tonight that of the three pictures that I drew, picture the cross, picture the fire, the picture of the altar, the altar was the one that was tough. Because I wanted to hedge my bets. I wanted to hold out on God. Now, let me just, let me just draw this out for you if I can. I'm going to come down here so you can have a better chance to see this and don't worry, you in the back will see this, okay? In our heritage, a lot of times, this is called like an altar. We talk about an altar call. Technically, this is probably like an altar, but we understand what it is. In some churches, this is called a permit. I was so excited when I came inside of this place and I saw you had this here, not just as a piece of furniture. Because for me, this isn't a piece of furniture. Oh, no. No, this is a place in my heritage where we did business with God. This is a place right here where we said, is it all on the line or am I holding out on him? What am I going to do? When I walked in here tonight, I remembered a distinct memory. I was sitting right back over to the left at a camp meeting. 18 years old, just graduated from high school. I was going to go into radio broadcasting, had a career all set up. It was an amazing story. All through high school, I graduated in a class of like 450 people. I am the person that made the first two-thirds of the class possible because I was I wasn't in that top tier. I messed around a lot in high school and didn't take it seriously. So they owe me for the fact that they were in the top thirds, uh, all because of my hard work and diligence. It was, a, it was the last night of a camp. It was a youth camp. And, and to be really honest with you, I drove 60 miles that night because I wanted to see what girls were at that camp. I didn't care about the service, didn't care about the speaker, didn't care about a thing. I said, oh, Jesus, help there to be some good-looking girls. Because tonight might be my night, by the grace of God. You've got one for me. And I walked in with all my swagger, full of myself, and drove my 62 Chevrolet in there like I owned the world. And I sat down the back, and I cut up. And 
that night something happened. Pastor got up and he began to speak and he talked about King Saul. He talked about the fall of King Saul. I can remember that night as though it happened today. And he came down and I listened to that service and it was like I was the only person in the room. And as he preached that message, and as he began to go after it, the Spirit of God began to zero in on me. And it was like it was an out-of-body experience. And we came down to the end, and as he came to the end of the service, he said, there's somebody in this room tonight. Tonight's your night. I've ordained this moment. God has ordained this moment. And I'm going to ask you to take your dreams, your goals, your plans, your everything, and I'm going to ask you to surrender it. I'm going to ask you to come right here. When that invitation was given, I, I don't know what happened. I didn't look around. I didn't care. I didn't do a thing. I just knew that God's Holy Spirit had my number that night. And I walked down to that altar, and I knelt there, and I said, God, here I am. I will do anything you want me to do. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. Oh, man, that was hard for me to say. You know why I grew up in the church? Now, those of you who are retired missionaries, you got to love me to get to heaven, okay? I grew up in the church, and I thought the worst thing that would happen is if I ever surrendered to God, he would call me to be a missionary. Because I thought, now, hang on, I've changed my mind since then. I'm chairman of a mission board, so I love all the missionaries. But when 18 years old, I didn't like them. And I thought God took the varsity and let them stay in the United States and sent the JV team overseas. He took all those people that were going to be single the rest of their life and have a pith helmet on, live out in the jungle fighting mosquitoes, dying for their life. And I thought, oh, God, I'll never. They would sing that song. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. I'll be what you want me to be. And I'd say, fat chance for this boy. No way, man. Because if I ever said yes to him, he's going to stick me in Africa wearing a stupid pith helmet, getting killed by mosquitoes, single, having nothing the rest of my life. But that night when the Spirit of God came down, that was my moment when he said, Dave, I've got a plan for you, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you peace and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future, if you'll seek me with all your heart. And that was the night in a camp meeting just like this. That's still why I, why I preach camps, because the Holy Spirit used that moment at an old-fashioned camp meeting in Fremont, Nebraska, where an 18-year-old kid just said, God, here it is. You can have the whole thing. And it was my night. When Christy and I were driving up, we talked about the fact, what a blessed life we've lived. Oh, man, it is so cool. If you could see my life, you'd say, wow. God didn't disappoint me. He didn't give me a death sentence to, to Africa. He let me see the world. In fact, I'd love to serve in Africa. Now, I've been there a number of times. He's allowed me to go to India 14 times and minister. I've crossed the seas so many times to go, I've loved it. He gave me the opportunity to give the opening prayer at the Bristol NASCAR night race. Six million people on TV. And I got in a prayer just to present the gospel. He's given me opportunities beyond anything I could ever ask or think. But the devil said, if you ever surrender to him, you're going to be a loser, loser the rest of your life. He is a liar. He is a liar from the pit of hell. And you're here tonight, whether you're 16 or 66 or 86. He said, I want you to put it all on the altar. What does it mean? I preached a message on surrender, and a lady came up, and she took the keys to everything, and she stuck them on the altar, and she said, this is it. I'm going to give God control of everything. She owned a business. 
And she said, I'm going to give God control of everything. And she said, these keys are symbolic of the fact that I'm surrendering it to him. I've seen people come to an altar. I watched a man come to an altar, and as he came to an altar, he took out his wallet, and he slapped it down, and he said, God owns everything. He's got my 401K. He's got my house. I give it to him. Can I tell you the hardest one? It's when you get out the pictures of your kids. Some of you are holding on to your kids. I love my kids. I love my grandkids. He says, no, 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 no. Don't you hold on to them. You put them on the altar. You say, God, here they are. And so I take Trace. I take Mason. I take Maya. I take McKenna. I take Jillian. I take my own children, and I say, God, here they are. Oh, boy, that's tough. I take my grandkids. I give them and say, God, here they are. You see, Jesus Christ demands not a part of your heart, but all of your heart. There is no half-heartedness in following him. You can do that same blinking year over and over and over and over. Or you can say, God, tonight, I just want to put it all on the altar. I want to experience what it is to die to my plans, my dreams. I pick up my cross. I trust you, Jesus. I want to experience what it is to be baptized with the fire of the Spirit of God. I want power. I want your power in my life as I gain your purity. And God, in order to do it, I just place it all on the altar. And it's all yours. I was finishing a community crusade in Bradford, Pennsylvania. I don't know if any of you have ever been there. I was staying at a great couple's house, and she worked at the library in Bradford, at the, at the Penn State Extension Campus Library. She said, come down and see the library, and I love libraries. I walked in, and I saw a table of books where they were selling books for 10 cents apiece. I thought to myself, this is my day, because I'm tight. I'm really tight. And I walked over, and I found this book. It's the craziest book. In fact, I bought the book for 10 cents. I have it still in my office. Here's the title of the book. Can you believe this? This is the absolute title of the book, How to Lose a War and Why. How to Lose a War and Why. So I, I pick up the book, I look at it, I said, this is goofy. In fact, in the book, it tells you the proper way to surrender when you're in war. Put your hands up. Gives you all the flags to use. And then it goes through why you want to lose in war. And it goes through history. And it says, oftentimes, when we lose is when we win. This is how we win. He who loses his life for my sake shall find it. So tonight, these old altars have been here for a long time. Camp's been here about 106 years. There's a lot of stains that are on this old altar. People have been called to ministry on this old altar. People have taken sons and daughters and said, God, here it is. I've been holding on. People have been so sick and tired of doing the same year, year after year after year. And at Bayshore Camp over the years, there's been this thing of here I am, God. I give it all to you. Is your all. 
on the altar? Is your all on the altar a sacrifice laid? Your heart does the spirit control. But tonight, God's going to say to a whole bunch of you, just let me have it all. Just sign the blank check. Let me fill in all the amounts and what it is. I'm going to ask you to stand together with me right now. Would you do that? I want you to stand. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, this altar is open right now. If the Spirit of God has talked to you, don't you wait for anybody else. Don't let pride hold you back. Say, what will they think? People will admire your ability to be honest and surrender. And I'm just going to invite you to step out tonight. Someone will lead the way. Others will follow. And tonight you say, this is my night for total, absolute surrender. I'm sick and tired of doing the same old, same old. I want the power of God to come down upon me. I want to be filled with His Spirit. I want to do it. You come. The altar's open. There'll be places on the inside here where you can kneel. Tonight, let's just be obedient to God. Lead us as we sing together, would you? Just keep your heads bowed. Sing prayerfully. You know this. Come on in. Let's gather in. It's time tonight for you to meet Him. side here if you can in the front you can kneel with your heads bowed and your eyes closed most of the time when the spirit of God worked when I was young I was always a holdout for the last verse I would negotiate but when I discovered it it was my pride and 
God said, there's no negotiating, Dave. It's my way or no way. And if God's spoken to you tonight, I want you just to be so open to what he wants you to do. I'm going to ask in just a little bit for Pastor Kevin to come, and he's going to kind of order our clothes and take care of that. And I never want to abuse your time. I'm just going to move. I'm, and I'm just going to move around the altar here. I'm going to ask some of the others of you who can pray just to move in right now. And, and whatever is in your heritage, that's fine. But I want every person here, I want every person here before they go to bed tonight, have someone who prays with them. Something happens when we pray out loud, audibly with each other we do that. But with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just in the quietness of this moment, no looking around. Someone's here in this room and said, Dave, I'm not quite there. I'm not quite there. I want to be there. But there's a battle going on. It's hard for me. When you talked about putting my kids on the altar, my career on the altar, everything on the altar, something inside of me said the price is too high. But I want God to keep working on me. I want him to keep working. I want him to keep doing a work. You take your hand and you just flip it up in the air right now and say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. God bless you, many of you. God bless you, Dad, Mom. God bless you. And you're, what you're basically saying is, Spirit of the living God, I'm still open. I'm not closing the door. Work me through this, Lord. Work me through this and do it in a rich way. God's going to do his work. We're going to spend some time praying. Kevin. Two nights ago, Pastor Mike Norton shared a message. Many of you were here and you remembered three chairs. For my brother, I prayed. And an altar call was given to be able to come to make sure that we were all sitting in the first chair. And, you know, I think the Spirit of God was working in each one of our hearts. Some of us were deceiving ourselves even that night knowing that we hadn't surrendered all. There was a place of compromise. Isn't God good? Because his spirit never gives up. He hounds us from heaven, getting us from where we are to where he wants us to be. Now, it's not always so comfortable kneeling on a floor. But if you still need to come forward, Allow this altar call to extend to you. This is your night to be able to make your decision. God's word has been spoken. Respond to it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening, a time to be able to celebrate our relationship with you. You ask us to pick up our cross, to die to self and to follow you. Father, I thank you for each of these that are at this, at this altar. They know what they're surrendering to you. They know what they're dying to self. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will seal the decision that they're making. Father, continue to work in our midst in a powerful way that even as this altar call ends, as you have need, continue to hound us from heaven through the power of your Holy Spirit so that as we leave this camp, we do not leave the same person that came. We leave as one more committed to you. In Jesus' name, amen.